Hello and welcome back to the Take A Trip podcast. This is episode four and as you can see from the title, today I'm going to be speaking to you about the curse of the pharaohs. That's right, today I'm going to be exploring a rumour curse which was said to follow multiple people involved with the uncovering of an ancient Egyptian tomb. A very famous one at that. So buckle in because we're going to take a trip back to Egypt in the 1900s. So this story begins in 1907 with a man named Howard Carter. He was a British archaeologist and Egyptologist who was praised for his frequent and impressive historical discoveries. In 1907, he began to work for George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carvenon, and Carter was referred to Herbert by the head of the Egyptian Antique Service because he had gained such a reputation for his frequent finds. So, in turn... Herbert had funded Carter to conduct an excavation in Egypt, and in 1914, Carter began this search for some hidden treasure. By 1922, Lord Carvenon complained to Carter that the search was taking way too long, and he actually threatened to take some of the funding away from the excavations. So Carter was now feeling the pressure, and he stepped up the pace in hopes that he would uncover something big in the last season of his funding. On the 4th of November 1922, a young water boy had accidentally stumbled on a stone that turned out to be stairs carved into the bedrock. Carter's workers dug out around where the stairs were emerging and they soon uncovered a plastered up doorway. On the 26th of November, using a chisel that his grandmother had gifted him a few years prior, Carter made a tiny hole in the top left corner of the door which was behind the now uncovered plastered doorway. He said he had used a candle to reflect light through the small incision that he had made so he could peer inside the small hole that he had made in the door. At first I could see nothing, the hot air escaping from the chamber causing the candle to flicker but presently as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room within emerged, slowly from the mist, strange animals, statues and gold, everywhere a glint of gold. This tomb consisted of a stairwell leading to a passageway which connected to the antechamber which contained 700 items. Egyptians believed that burying themselves with the possessions they loved would ensure that they would go into the next life with said possessions too. Inside the antechamber there were items such as three spiritual animal couches, a fan and some decomposing war chariots. This room would also lead you into every other room in the tomb. Next to this room, there was an annex, the smallest room, and this would contain a total of 280 items, including food, wine, games, pottery, stools, and baskets. It was actually recorded that the annex was very messy because of some ancient grave robbers. They'd broken in centuries before and stolen some items, including silver and gold pieces for the games that were inside. Next was the burial chamber. This was where the mummified body of the ancient Egyptian king would be found. The scientists would later say that they were almost certain that the body belongs to that of King Tutankhamun, commonly referred to as King Tut. Surrounding the body, there were great paintings of King Tut. The famous large golden shrine that King Tut is known for, which you're probably imagining in your head right now, well, this was located inside this exact chamber. And it took Carter and his team an overall 10 years to catalogue and remove all of the items from the tomb. I'm just going to quickly cut in here and say that I really don't understand why people do this to historical structures. 
They said themselves that the tomb was in such great condition, so why would you loot it and take everything out of it? If you find something that is sealed purposefully, you know, these pharaohs would die and they would seal their tombs with the intent of not being troubled. Why would you then go out and trouble these people? I understand that we need to do research, but I feel like they should wait until the right technology is developed so that they don't have to move around these items and these bodies. I did hear in some sources that King Tut's body was actually damaged in transit and if that's true the level of disrespect is unbelievable and I feel like something needs to be done about people just casually digging up people's bodies and putting them on show. The body could be two days old, it could be two years old or maybe 2,000 years old. It doesn't take away the fact that they're a human and they still deserve dignity even in death. And you're going to hear something later on in this story that's probably going to make your blood boil if you feel the same way I do about all of this. So many famous and honestly draw-drop-in photographs were taken of the tomb and the entire tomb was emptied. King Tut's mummified remains were sent off for x-rays and tests before he was transferred to a museum. The press got a hold of this new discovery and the whole world was at awe at Carter's now famous discovery. They knew about the ancient art and the gold and all of the chambers, but no one knew the darker side of this discovery. In the following years, a series of strange and unfortunate events were due to ensue. Had Carter unleashed a curse when he intruded the king's resting spot, or was everything that followed just a strange and morbid coincidence? Now, I just want to say that there were no curses that were actually etched into any of the walls or anywhere near the tombs and especially there wasn't any on King Tut's tombs but some sources claimed that there were other pharaoh sources that came into play. Actually the curses are really rare to find on these tombs so why do people think that King Tut had cursed people who had taken apart his resting spot? Well I'm going to list nine deaths of people who were mostly directly involved with the discovery of this tomb. Number one is James Henry Breasted. He had worked with Carter on the day that the tomb was opened, and when he returned home, he was shocked. His beloved pet canary had met a bone-chilling fate. See, a cobra had got into its cage and actually had eaten it, and the cobra remained stationed in its cage. Now, for most people, this would just be a sad situation. You know, you just come home and your pets died, but if you're superstitious and you believe in symbols, people were actually terrified of this. Canaries are a symbol for peace in many cultures. And then a cobra in Egyptian culture is a symbol for Egyptian monarchy. So was this a threat from King Tut or was it just a freak accident with some sinister undertones? James Hemi Brister didn't actually die himself until a few months after, straight after a trip to Egypt, which was seen as weird in itself. Number two was George Herbert. Carter's employer himself was rumoured by news outlets to be the first person to actually officially succumb to the curse. George had died after a blood infection from cutting a mosquito bite on his face while shaving. Doctors explained that a bad car accident some years prior to this had made George susceptible to infections and warned him that an infection may kill him. But a lot of people believe that this was a special gift from the pharaoh himself, a way of karma for digging up his body. Number three was Sir Bruce Ingham. This was Carter's friend and Carter had actually gifted him a fun little paperweight which had come from the tombs. 
This paperweight actually turned out to be, and you're going to be horrified by this, a mummified hand wearing a bracelet, which apparently read the phrase, cursed be he who moves my body. That is a really weird gift to give your pal. And jokes aside, if this is real, which I'm not sure, a lot of sources claimed it was real, so I'm just going to take it. This is really messed up. You should not be gifting your friend's body parts, guys. Don't do that. Well, a few weeks after receiving this gift, Ingham's house actually blew up into flames. And when the flames had died down and he was able to try and rebuild his house, it flooded again. Number four, George J. Gold. He was an American financier who was known for his wealth and he visited King Tut's tomb back in 1923 and he was said to become immediately ill after his visit. He never really recovered from this and actually died of pneumonia a few months after. Some modern scientists have got an explanation for this though. They suggest that he may have inhaled a dangerous type of bacteria which was present in the tomb. They believe that this bacteria had festered and grown due to the amount of years that the tomb was left untouched. Number five, Aubrey Herbert. This was George Herbert's brother. He had actually become totally blind shortly after the discovery of the tomb. Doctors said it may have been due to his rotting and infected teeth. He had every single tooth in his head pulled in attempt to gain his eyesight back, but it never came back. Sadly, Aubrey died five months after the death of his brother from sepsis as a result of a botched surgery. Number six is Hugh Evelyn White a British archaeologist who visited the tomb and may have helped with the excavation. In 1924, a year after the discovery, he ended his own life after seeing many of his fellow excavators mysteriously dying. Some of his final words were said to have been, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Could he have been influenced by a current media craze around the curse of the pharaohs? Or was it just delusion and mental illness? I'm going to lead more to the fact that he was probably influenced by a lot of what the media was saying and because he was clearly dealing with something mentally he must have just taken it as the actual truth and um, legitimized it as a way to justify him ending his life. Number seven, Aaron Ember. Aaron Ember was an American Egyptologist and he was a friend of many people who were working at the tomb's opening. He had died in his Baltimore home in 1926. The house burst into flames just an hour after him and his wife had hosted a dinner party for some friends. They both could have made it out the fire alive, but they both decided to try and go back inside the fire to retrieve a manuscript that Ember had written for their son. Sadly, on this journey back inside the fire, they both passed away. And let me tell you the name of this manuscript that they had gone to retrieve. It was none other than the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Number eight, Richard Bethel. Richard Bethel was George Herbert's secretary and the first person after Carter to enter the tomb. He died in 1929 under suspicious circumstances because he was found smothered in his room at an elite gentleman's club. Richard owned multiple priceless items which were from King Tut's tomb. Why were these people even allowed to steal this stuff? I don't understand this. How are you able to discover such an old tomb, such an old piece of history and just take some items from it like it's going to just make a nice new centerpiece for your dining table? I don't get that. Well, when these items actually came to his house and they were inside his house, his home was said to have experienced a number of strange, unexplained fires before his death and the media started to link his death to the curse of the pharaohs as well. 
And finally, at number nine, we have Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. He was the radiologist who did the very first x-ray on King Tut's mummified body before he was transported to the museum. The day after he did this x-ray, he got really sick. And three days after, he succumbed to this illness and passed away. Were these deaths a result of an ancient curse, or were they just a series of sad events that happened to follow a very important discovery? I think the answer to that question differs depending on personal beliefs in suspicious things. After all the speculation, as I mentioned earlier, scientists were able to discover a lot more information about King Tut and his time on the throne. They found from his remains that he had been born in 1342 BC and died in 1325 aged 18 to 19 years old, so young. Tut had been crowned king around eight to nine years old and had actually married his half-sister, Anne Kesselman. They conceived two daughters, but both of them died during pregnancy, supposedly due to inbreeding. King Tut actually was a very successful king despite his age. He restored relations between Egypt and other kingdoms, and this was noted due to the amount of foreign gifts that were found in his antechamber, and it just generally proved that his mission had been successful. But Tut had a range of medical issues. As I said, Egyptians had a thing where they would inbreed, they would marry in the family, and he had medical issues such as mild scoliosis, a clubbed foot, meaning that he had to walk with the cane. He also suffered a severe strain of malaria, and this was all believed to result in his very early and sudden death. But theories surrounding his death had actually risen, and some scientists said that he had actually been murdered by suffering a blow to the head. Other scientists claim that it was down to his extensive health issues. King Tut's fame was due to skyrocket again though, because in 1939, Rex Keating had set out to make a radio history. The radio presenter wanted a musician to come on live and broadcast and play a trumpet live. But this was no ordinary trumpet. This trumpet was found in King Tut's antechamber and a lot of people suspected that it was actually cursed. Just like the opening of King Tut's tomb, whenever this trumpet was played in history, something bad always happened. And for some dumb reason, we humans continued to play it over and over and over again. Now these trumpets were actually used in the military to play for King Tut. And they would also be used to call his troops to battle. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on all of the times that they tried to play or they actually did play this trumpet and what actually ensued almost straight after it. So the first time the trumpet was about to be played for this radio station, the musician actually tried to blow into it and it apparently had an ear-splitting sound because the 50 centimeter copper alloy trumpet was not designed to make specific notes. So the musician decided to try and fit a modern mouthpiece on the trumpet and when he did this and put his mouth to it, it shattered into pieces. The trumpet was repaired in spring 1939 and 150 million listeners tuned into the radio station again to try and hear the all-famous trumpet be played for the first time in 3,000 years. And boy, it really didn't end well. So it was officially played on the radio in 1939, as I said, and a few months after this, Britain went into World War II. And then in 1967, the trumpet was played again prior to a six-day war between Egypt and Israel. In 1990, they played the trumpet a third time and it was followed by the outbreak of the Gulf War. And it was most recently played in 2011, which was closely followed by the Egyptian Revolution. Why did they continue to play it? 
And no, it didn't stop there. Somehow, these historians are still digging around in these graves, because in September 2019, a mystery box was found to have come from King Tut's tomb. The box was opened for the first time on film in 2019, and it was said to have actually belonged to King Tut's wife, not King Tut, and it was her only documented possession in existence. Some people have theorised that King Tut kept it in his tomb to prevent his wife's name from getting lost in history, because that would happen a lot to a lot of female leaders in ancient times. And also, a lack of personal items would mean that his wife would find it harder to enter the second life, and to survive there too. So when this box was opened, nothing physical was found inside the box, although some spiritual people could claim that it could have released some really bad energy into our world as we know it. Was it a Pandora's box kind of situation where we didn't know what we got ourselves into? Well, a surprising amount of people believe that the pandemic that started in 2020 was just another consequence of the Pharaoh's curse, but you need to be somewhat superstitious for you to even believe in a curse enough for it to truly impact you. So was it able to impact the whole world? So what do you actually think about the curses? Do you think they sound legit or do you think that they're just fairy tales and coincidences? As for the freak accidents and the world affairs, I feel like something creepy, like some sort of curse has been going on because I personally feel like the Egyptians possessed a different kind of, um, a, a special power. I feel like they mastered energy and spirituality so much to the point where curses probably aren't too far off reality for them. I just look at it as if someone can build a pyramid like that back in the time that they built it with the tools that they had. A curse probably isn't impossible. I just really don't like how ancient Egypt and just Egypt in general is exploited. This happens to a lot of historical artifacts and things that are uncovered in history. I don't know what makes people feel like they can just take someone's body and just display it for the world to see and not see it as disrespectful. You know, you wouldn't do this to one of your ancestors, so why would you do it to a pharaoh and a king as well? And you know, even if there was a curse, maybe we deserved it. You know, we at the end of the day, we dug up someone's body, you know, we're asking for it at that point. Like I said earlier, they've actually caused so much damage to the mummy now. I believe I read in one source, King Tut's head had actually come off of his body in transit, which is just unbelievable. I, I can't believe that people are that disrespectful to ancient cultures. Yes, they might have died thousands and thousands of years ago, but it doesn't make them any less of a human. And they preserved their body and put it in this tomb for a reason. I understand it's for research, but... We have so much technology now that we don't even have to research using our eyes. We have technology that will allow us to scan things and not have to move them from their original resting place. A lot of King Tut's items are now out of his tomb, so that makes me question if it would affect, you know, if there was an afterlife, would it affect him in his afterlife? Would it mean that he would have no possessions in his afterlife? Get in with the discussion by following me on Instagram at Take a Chip Podcast and keep up to date with everything. I actually really enjoyed being your history teacher today and I'm glad you listened. And if you made it this far, thank you again. I'm so grateful for all the support I've been receiving for the podcast so far. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. If you could do me a huge favor though, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a good old review on the Take A Trip podcast, I would be so grateful. It just helps me reach a wider audience and scare some more people out there with my creepy talk. But yes, this was episode four of the Take A Trip podcast. I'm glad you guys are enjoying, like I said, and thank you so much for making it this far. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.